Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. My name is Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with both Jessica Pells and Dr. Amanda Gesselman. Jessica is the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan, the largest young women's media brand in the world. She oversees the content and editorial operations for Cosmopolitan's magazine, website, and social media. Amanda is the Associate Director for Research at the Kinsey Institute. She has been with Kinsey since 2014, and she researches new trends in the romantic and sexual lives of adults around the world, as well as how technology can be used to facilitate meaningful connections. We're going to be talking about a recent research collaboration between Cosmopolitan and the Kinsey Institute that involved a survey of more than 2,000 people around the world who answered questions about the future of sex and relationships after COVID. The results are fascinating and were recently published in the April issue of Cosmo. I can't wait to dive into this conversation, so let's get to it. Hi, Jessica, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here. I am so happy to have you here as well. Thanks for joining me. And also, hello, Amanda. It's great to have you here as well. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. So to get started, Jess, can you please tell us a little bit about the story behind this interesting research collaboration with the Kinsey Institute? So specifically, how did this come to happen in the first place? Yeah, we at Cosmopolitan cover sex and relationship trends in the lives of young women religiously. (laughs) And we have for decades. And so when the world shut down due to COVID a year ago now, that was one of the first things that my team and I started talking about was what will this mean for the dating lives of our readership? A lot of them are single and they're having to lock down alone or in their parents' basement. And what is life going to be like for them afterwards? And also for the people who are quarantined in couples. And, you know, we had a lot of theories. I will say that I had, (laughs) my guess was that COVID would sort of speed along any relationships that were teetering on the brink of breakup and that there would be, you know, a spike in divorce rates. And I also thought that the singles would go nuts (laughs) after COVID and just really, really go wild. And so we wanted to test these theories. We also wanted to, you know, Cosmo is, of course, an authority in its own right, but we also wanted to make sure that the male perspective was represented. So we tapped our pals at Esquire to represent the the men's perspective. And then we have so much respect for Kinsey and the incredible research that they do in the sex and relationship space. So we wanted to bring them in as well to lend a real legitimacy to our research. And, you know, I'm happy to say that I was surprised by a lot of our findings and pleasantly so, which is really, you know, in this, the year 2021, I think all a girl can ask for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love to hear all of that. I mean, I really love this idea of media outlets getting together and teaming up with researchers to really fact check themselves, right? Because so much was said and written about COVID and the effects it was going to have on sex and relationships at the very beginning. But it was all speculation, you know, we didn't really have the data. And so I think this is really a a beautiful partnership in a lot of ways. And I'm really excited to dig into the findings. But before we do that, Amanda, can I ask you to tell us a little bit about the methods? So 
how did this survey work? Who participated? And how did you decide what questions to ask? Sure, yeah. So this survey was of a sample of 2,000 American adults. They were between 18 and 45 years old. We chose that age range because that aligns with both the Cosmo and Esquire readership, and it also aligns with the age range where people experience the most relationship events, you know, seeking a partner, dating, getting married, getting pregnant, getting divorced, etc., So the participants were 18 to 45, and the distribution was based on the most recent United States census. And so it had representative distribution of ethnic and racial identities, ages, regions around the U.S., etc. So we conducted the survey online using a nationally representative internet panel. We were interested in in seeing more of the sort of predicted long-term shifts. So Justin, you and I have collaborated on COVID projects, and I've also collaborated with Match on a Singles in America project that has some COVID aspects of it. But most of those things were focused on what people are doing right now, like in the moment when we surveyed them, whereas this survey in particular was really focused on what we can expect afterwards. And so I think that that made it, makes the survey in particular really valuable and unique for thinking about what we might see after the pandemic is over and especially how we as researchers might think about behavioral changes. Yeah. So it sounds like this is a really legit sample, nationally representative, (laughs) and also really different from all of the other COVID studies that are out there. Because as you mentioned, there are a lot, including some that we've worked on together, but they've all focused on, you know, what's happening now or what happened in the past. And so many people are really interested in this question of, well, what's the future going to be? And as somebody who is fielding media requests on an almost daily basis, that's actually like the single most common question I get. People want to know, what is the future of sex and how is this going to change after our lives, hopefully at some point, return to a semi-normal place? Well, and that is what we are here to answer. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so glad to have you here and for you to have data to back it up because this is really the first time I'm able to have a conversation where it's like, okay, we've got some data we can speak to. So the title of the article you published in Cosmo is The Future of Sex is All About Commitment. And I think that's going to be surprising to a lot of people because I can imagine a lot of folks figuring that once the pandemic is over, people are going to want to make up for lost time and go out and have a Uh ton of casual sex because our opportunities were so limited over the last year. But that's not really what you found. So Jess, can you tell us a little bit about what you mean when you say the future of sex is all about commitment? (sighs) Absolutely. You know, I think a salient point worth making is that one of the many things that COVID taught us, or rather did to us, possibly against our will, is, you know, it made us face what we are like as human beings when we are in the midst of unthinkable crisis, which is where we all have been for the past year. And that has really brought to the fore emotional needs. And, you know, I think our culture for a very long time in the large part has downplayed emotional needs. You know, women in particular have been told sometimes by magazines, you know, to play games with men, to be unavailable. Men have been historically taught to hide any, you know, vulnerability caused by by having feelings. And all of that has changed in COVID. I think we've all had to get very, very comfortable very fast with the fact that we're emotional people and that we need support. 
and I, I think what the data has shows us is that for a lot of people, that support means a partner, and it means a partner who is there all the time. And so our respondents told us that commitment matters a lot more to them now than it did before. The couples who were quarantined together are happier now. They're more sexually satisfied. They feel better together. A really sweet little detail is that 69% of the men we surveyed report that they feel more affectionately towards their partners than they did before. And so commitment really had a big win, I think, during COVID. And for anyone who didn't have that commitment, that is what they want. And they're taking really active steps, planning to take really active steps to get there, some of which are you know, half of all Hinge users, Hinge is, as you know, a a massively popular dating app. Half of all Hinge users took this time to break bad dating habits because they want to be better daters, because they want to find better partners. And so our survey respondents told us the majority of them plan to continue to video vet their dates before they meet them in person because they want to make sure that there's a connection before they get out there so that they're not wasting their time. They want to take longer to meet someone in person. They want to take longer to decide whether to have sex with that person. And they also want to have sex with fewer people at the same time. So there really is an intentionality around commitment that we just haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And it lines up really well with some of the trends that we've observed in some of the other studies that have come out during COVID about changes in people's dating behaviors and sexual behaviors and how they feel about their relationships. But Amanda, I want to ask you as a research psychologist who studies sex and relationships for a living, were you surprised by this? Is this something you kind of expected to see going in? I'm curious as to what your take on this is. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I might have expected something a little different. And that's because I, you know, none of us were expecting it to last this long. No. <laughs> so when we were in the beginning of it and it, you know, foreseeing a few weeks or maybe a month of lockdown, I think I could have predicted that people would come out of there and want more sex, want more, just want more of those sort of hookup, no strings attached connections. Because we were seeing that beforehand, first of all, that's a pretty common behavior. And when you keep people from doing their common behaviors, of course, there's going to be sort of a bottleneck afterwards. But now that we've been in the pandemic for so long and been in lockdown for so long, it makes a lot of sense. We've seen rises in loneliness. And with that, you know, feelings of depression and lower well-being, people really have a need for connection, be that you know, friendship, romantic or sexual, but being locked away from other people and from the ways that we usually get our comfort is really having an effect. And so I think that it makes a lot of sense to me personally, that people would be seeking out those closer connections. Yeah. And it lines up really well with our previous Kinsey study. One of the things that I found so interesting about our study was that we asked about people's sexual fantasies and how they were different now compared to pre-pandemic times. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we saw in the data was that people were actually fantasizing more now than they were pre-pandemic and that the content of their fantasies was changing. And the biggest change that emerged was that people were reporting more passion and romance type fantasies, 
right? These fantasies that are all about emotional connection. And I think that really speaks to this need to connect that so many of us are experiencing right now. And you can easily see how that's going to spill over and have effects in how people approach dating and what they want from their relationships going forward. Now, that Kinsey study that I mentioned, that was a seven-part study that ran from March through October of 2020. And we looked at a ton of different things in it, including online dating. And one of the things we saw in our data was that people were reporting having a lot more in-depth conversations with their dating partners now than they were in pre-pandemic times, right? So Mm -hmm. whereas pre-pandemic, online dating was really kind of this superficial experience. You swipe, you make a connection, and then you go out and meet, right? And there wasn't a whole lot of depth beyond that. So, and your survey seems to find something similar there as well. So I'm curious, Jess, can you tell us what you think online dating is going to look like going forward beyond just, you know, having more video dates and, you know, maybe having more in-depth conversations? And do you think that that's going to be a temporary thing or is it going to be a much more long-term shift fundamentally in terms of how we approach online dating? I do see a more fundamental shift here. And it does sort of spell doom for the reign of the one night stand, which I think dating apps, online dating, for our readership, we use the short term apps, because that's just where all of that activity happens. Apps very much supported and enabled that kind of quick hookup culture, which I bear no judgment on, you know, all about casual sex, but (laughs) hookup culture really thrived thanks to the apps. And the thing about hookup culture, and one of our experts in our piece talks about this in a really interesting way. The thing about hookup culture is that it, it was never really geared towards quality, the quality of the experience. Like a one night stand is really more about the mere fact that it happened rather than about the quality of how it happened. And I think on the backside of that, especially when everyone is locked down and forced to slow down and think and contemplate and prioritize, I think hookup culture has lost a bit of its allure to a lot of people because ultimately, you know, we're thinking, as I mentioned before, a lot more about how we feel and how things make us feel and the choices that we make that impact those feelings. And I do think a lot of people have really assessed how hooking up one night stands, how those things impact their their emotional well-being. And so for that reason, I really think dating apps are going to become less of a quick hit marketplace and much more of a, a breeding ground of intimacy. I think people will take more time making selections. I think they'll be be more selective rather than just like, yeah, this could work. More of, yeah, but is there something there? And I think that's really interesting. Right. So that's what you find at the overall level. And as you're talking about this, I'm wondering, are you going to find the same thing across different subgroups of people? And so, for example, I'm thinking about the men who have sex with men community and apps like Mm -hmm. Grindr, where there's a lot of casual sex and hooking up that takes place. And we know that casual sex is considered a more normative and acceptable behavior within the gay and bisexual community. So I'm, I'm curious if you did any subgroup analyses to look at, you know, do you have similar effects across people of different genders and sexual orientations? Or is this kind of an effect across the board that you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. We definitely looked at sexual orientation, and that is a big factor in a lot of romantic and sexual behaviors. It's 
It's just the nature of it. You know, there are some differences. So gay men were actually the highest group in the in terms of what kind of relationship they desire after the pandemic. So the question that we asked them was, when the pandemic is over, which of the following types of relationships do you hope to pursue? And one of the options was uncommitted sexual relationships, for instance, one night stands and hookups. And 29% of gay men said that that was the type of relationship that they hoped to pursue. And I do want to note that they could choose more than one thing. But 29% of gay men, so around one in three, said that they hoped to pursue an uncommitted sexual relationship, whereas 17% of straight men and between 7 and 14% of women and bisexual men reported that that's what they wanted. Okay, so it sounds like there's still maybe a little bit more willingness amongst the part of gay men to, you know, pursue casual sex, but it wasn't a majority of people across any groups who said that they wanted to pursue casual sex after the pandemic is over. Is that right? Correct. And that's the trend that we saw across ages, genders, and sexual orientations. So it wasn't uncommitted sexual relationships weren't the top choice for any group. But for gay men, that does seem to be the highest percentage of all the groups. But half of them did say that they were hoping to pursue a committed relationship. It's actually 52% of gay men said that that's what they were hoping to pursue. That's so interesting. And I love that you know your data so well. Was there something you wanted to add there, Jess? I was simply going to throw to Amanda because she is, as you have seen, the expert on this. One other thing I wanted to bring up when we're thinking about the kinds of things that they want afterwards, when Jess was saying that they're really, that people are really hoping to find an emotional connection more than a one night stand. One of the questions that we asked was, when thinking about dating after the pandemic, which of these will you consider to be the most important trait or characteristic in a potential partner or relationship? The answers that we had for them to choose were emotional connection, physical attraction, emotional stability, sexual compatibility, financial stability, etc. And 61% of people said that emotional connection was the most important thing that they hope they hope to have in a potential partner after the pandemic, with 45% of them saying physical attraction. So they could choose three, if that makes sense. But I think that's really interesting because we've seen every year in the Singles in America data that match sponsors that physical chemistry or physical attraction is one of the number one traits that people look for in online partners. It's the, one of the number one most desired things. It's like 99% of people endorse that every year in the survey that it's you know something they look for, something they care about. So to see that less than half of people said that this was in their top three important things was really interesting and really, I think really speaks to the impact that this might have on, on what Jess was saying on pursuing the more emotional connection than strictly sexual. Yeah, and that's so fascinating. And it's making me think about how are we going to need to revisit all of our theories of attraction and relationships going forward? (laughs) Right. You know, are these just going to be some temporary shifts where once things kind of return to normal, that will resume older patterns of behavior? Or will this be something that really just changes human mating and dating psychology going forward? And that's the question, the million dollar question that everybody wants to know, but I'm so (laughs) curious to find out. Now, it's not just about people cultivating more intimacy right now. You also saw in your data that people were communicating more about various things. So for example, about half of the participants in your study 
who said that they were planning to seek new sexual partners this year, said that they were going to take more health precautions, such as asking about their partner's health status or their Mm -hmm. COVID status. And I'm curious to hear from both of you what your take on this is in terms of whether you think that this will ultimately make us better at communicating about things like sexual health risks. So will this also extend to more communication about STD status? Will it make people more likely to use condoms or to have safer sex? I'll start with you, Jessica. Do you have any thoughts on that? (laughs) My God, I hope it has that impact. No, but it really seems like it will. You know, 51% of our respondents did say they're more likely to use a condom post-COVID. And 42% said that they're more likely to ask about a partner's health before sex than they would have been before, which is, which is huge. You know, again, I think a hallmark of hookup culture, one night stands is at least as far as how it's portrayed in, let's say rom-coms is that in some cases, the less information, the better. And that certainly does not seem to hold. It's interesting, you know, Cosmo has spent its long history beating the drum of protecting yourself during sex. And we've been publishing stories about protecting against STIs and unwanted pregnancy for for literal decades. And now there's this whole new layer of concern, which, which as you sort of hint at, I think, I hope, will keep broader sex health concerns top of mind and top of conversation in a way that they haven't been before. Yeah. And to the extent that this normalizes just having those conversations, then that's ultimately a great thing. Now, Amanda, I know as a sex researcher, you're familiar with the data on safer sex practices and condom use. And we've seen that in some studies, condoms seem to be going out of style, or at least that was true pre-pandemic, where people were reporting using them less Mm -hmm. during sexual encounters. So what's your take on this? Do you think that this might be the thing that we need to kind of kickstart more condom use and safer sex? How is this going to change sexual (laughs) health going forward? So weird to think that COVID would have an impact on uh, on condom use, considering it's not an STI. But I want to point out that one of the options that we gave them was that they would be just as likely as before the pandemic to ask. So the question was, compared to before, how likely are you to do each of the following after the pandemic? including use a condom with a new sex partner. And the choices were, I would be less likely to do that after the pandemic. I would be similarly likely, or I would be more likely to ask them to use the condom after the pandemic. And over half of them said that they would be more likely than even they used to be. So certainly there were probably many, many people who would have already done this. And it seems to have only increased. We also asked participants after the pandemic, you know, after things begin to abate, after things begin to become a bit less threatening, which of these do you think will be more concerning for you, COVID or an STI, when it comes to having sex with new partners? And this was for single people who had planned to date. And for the most part, people still reported that they would be concerned about STIs and whatnot. But 30% of them said that COVID would actually be more of a concern for them than would STIs. So considering what we saw with the condom use and how over half of them do plan to ask a new partner more so than they would have, and that a third of them are worried about COVID, it seems like this might actually be sort of a kickstart to more protective behavior than we might have expected, especially since it's not necessarily, you know, a sex-related disease. But I did think that that was interesting that people are 
considering COVID as a risk, even in the context of a sex partner, which of course it is a risk with a new sex partner, but I do find it promising that people are considering that. Yes, definitely promising. And like you said, I don't think any of us could have predicted all of these changes that were going to happen at the outset when all of this began a little over a year ago. So we have much more to discuss, including how the pandemic has affected people in relationships, the future of infidelity, and the rise of sexual experimentation. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Sex and Psychology podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Promescent. Promescent is here to help you get better in bed. Check out their Vitaflux supplements, which aim to enhance sexual health by increasing libido, sexual desire, and orgasm satisfaction in men and women alike. Vitaflux can also help to increase erection strength in men and vaginal lubrication in women. Promescent's other sexual wellness products include their signature delay spray, which can help men last longer in bed, a female arousal gel that heightens sensitivity, and a line of personal lubricants that come in several varieties. Promescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee on all orders and free shipping on orders over $10. Also, all orders come in discreet packaging to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place your order at promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. And we're back. My guests today are Jessica Pels, Editor-in-Chief of Cosmopolitan, as well as Kinsey Institute researcher, Dr. Amanda Gesselman. Let's talk about how this pandemic has affected people in relationships. In the Kinsey study I was involved in last year, we found that it was a challenging time for a lot of people in relationships. We saw declines in people's sex lives, as well as a rise in stress and conflict. So what is the ultimate impact going to be for people in romantic relationships. You know, I've seen a lot of media reports saying that there's this big spike in divorces that's coming down the line. But what do your data say about that, Jess? Our data says they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was that was my assumption as well, but we did query them on whether they had fantasized about breaking up, and some of them had, but of the ones who had, only 2% plan to actually leave. It's a single digit, which alone, you know, on its own is really is really interesting and promising. And we talked at the top of the interview about how emotional connection and emotional needs have really come to the fore. And I do think that has created more stability, more closeness. You know, we can also talk about sexual intimacy between two long-term committed monogamous partners, I do think there's, we all have this assumption that monogamy equals monotony in the bedroom. But in lockdown, that doesn't seem to have been the case. Nearly a half of our respondents, so 46% of them, said that they have been engaging in more experimentation during COVID, whether that's, you know, watching porn together, playing with toys, mutual masturbation, role play fantasies. People have been getting more experimental in the effort of, of keeping things fresh, but but also in the effort of connecting and of offering, you know, some solace from what has really been a brutal year. And so I see healthier couples emerging from COVID than went into COVID. And that, again, was was maybe the biggest surprise for me of, of this whole project. Yeah, so COVID helped us to find and solve the problem of monotony in monogamy, right? <laughs> and 
you know, we we saw something similar in our Kinsey study last year. We we found that about one in five people said they had tried something new in the bedroom since the pandemic began. But when exactly were your data collected? At the end of January 2021. Okay, so yeah, you had many more months added to it than, mm-hmm. than we did when we were conducting our study. So it makes sense that you're going to see a rise and even bigger number of people who said that they tried something new. And Amanda, can you tell us a little bit about kind of the psychology behind that? Why were so many people becoming sexually experimental during lockdown and quarantine? Well, there's a lot to be said for novelty, sexually and otherwise, generally um, for relationships, for for strengthening that bond with each other. There's a benefit to be had from doing things that are new, expanding the things that you like, expanding your sort of sense of self. That actually contributes to mental well-being and to feeling more satisfied with your life and more satisfied with your both romantic relationship and your sexual relationship. So I think people know that. I think that we might not act on it as much as maybe we should, but I think that that's a pretty intuitive thing for most people. And so I think being locked away and, you know, having monotony forced on you probably motivated a lot of people to, you know, try to figure out how to make their relationship better. Like I said, we're, as humans, we're all motivated to seek out those connections and and build strong, close emotional bonds with people. And so it makes sense that we would want to, you know, do whatever we could to keep the spark alive and to keep things going well. Yeah. And do you think, Amanda, that terror management theory and this kind of fear of death that so many of us have felt over the last year had anything to do with this as well? I say this because we know from past research that when the prospect of your own mortality becomes salient, that that sometimes promotes more sexual behavior is kind of a coping mechanism for dealing with that paralyzing anxiety of that fear of death. So do you think there's anything to that idea or not? (laughs) What a funny question that is. That was exactly my master's thesis, although definitely (laughs) many years before the pandemic. How could I have ever thought that this would come back? Yeah, I do. So Terror management theory is the idea that as social animals, as animals, as, you know, beings with a bit more cognitive ability, we are aware that we will die at some point. Um, And that is terrifying. And I think that we can all agree that that's terrifying, at least for the great majority of individuals. But because we are aware that we will absolutely die at some point, it creates a lot of psychological mechanisms that try to promote survival and well-being and the things that go into safety and stability and that sort of thing. If you were feeling life-threatened, you know, a threat to your life, you know, that things might be a bit of a crisis, like we are obviously in currently, it makes sense that you would want to strengthen those things. And I think that a lot of people don't necessarily think of sex as a big contributor to the emotional part of the relationship, but sexual satisfaction is actually a really big predictor of relationship satisfaction. It's There have been several studies where they've looked at you know, the directionality of those sorts of things. Does the relationship impact the sex or does the sex impact the relationship? And a lot of studies do show the latter, that this the sexual part of the relationship is really important for the emotional part of the relationship. And so... I think that there probably is something to the terror management theory angle. And I, I think that that's a really interesting take on it. And that I certainly can see how that would make us want to, you know, reach out and keep our close others as close as possible. 
and maybe try some new things with them because we don't know how long we have. So if we're not going to do it now, it might never happen. All right. Live like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> right. So Jess, I'm curious, did you also find in your data that this sexual experimentation was taking place for single people as well? Or was that something that was more common among people in relationships? Absolutely for singles. And, you know, another silver lining to come out of this is that I don't think men needed any help destigmatizing masturbation. But for women, despite, you know, the Cosmo roar, for women, there has still been some stigma around it, a little bit of taboo about masturbation. And I really think those walls have been broken down, <laughs> not just because we've seen, you know, sex toy sales absolutely skyrocket. But because it's been more of a conversation, it's been more of a talking point on social media, you'll see, you know, young people very openly talking about masturbation and about, you know, their vibrator giving out and um, charge your batteries. <laughs> <laughs> yes, plug it in. It certainly hasn't just been something that couples have done. It's, it's definitely something that the singles have spent a lot of time, you know, doing self exploration. And also, I find that to be in my mind, that's a very healthy foundation for future sexual partnerships. Because the better you know yourself and what works for you, the better you know what you, you know, what fantasies really trigger you, what really turns you on, the better you can educate a partner and get more pleasure from that experience. So good news all around. And I would like to add to that, that I looked at the spread by sexual orientation and actually straight women, heterosexual women were the least likely to be, um, to be more exploratory or experimental in their sexual lives. 62% of our heterosexual women said that they have not done anything new, that they have not explored different ways of being sexual via masturbation, sex toys, or being sexual with a partner. Whereas when we look at the other categories, gay, lesbian, and bisexual men and women, as well as straight men, generally it's it's around 40 to 50% who have said no. So it does seem like straight women are missing out on the time to, uh, to explore something new. And I hope, I hope that they're doing well. <laughs> There's still time left. Yes, we're publishing a ton of content to help inspire them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on why that might be? And is it related just more to historical, cultural barriers to discussing women's pleasure and you know some of the cultural beliefs we have about women and sexuality do you think that that might be what the explanation is here or is it something maybe more related to differential stress that women felt during the pandemic compared to men that might have affected their libidos any thoughts from either of you on that i'm i'm really glad that you brought up the stress you know i i work for an audience that is you know millennial and gen z women very largely impacted by anxiety, very vocal about that anxiety. And, you know, I work very closely with my team of, of young women. And I really think young women had a hard time this past year, especially those who have been alone or isolated away from family. You know, I, I had staffers who had to give up their apartments here in the city and move back home with their parents. And I think for, for anyone who is already plagued by anxiety or who already has high work stress, of course, any additional challenge will, will just feel exponentially difficult. And so I, I do think there was just a bit more weight that young women felt they had to, had to carry. Yeah. Anything else you would add to that, Amanda? Yeah. I think that another thing that 
although they're not necessarily always overlapping, one thing that sexual orientation, at least in this data set, tells us is that the partner of straight women is likely men. And so when you are trying to expand your sex life, if you have a partner, obviously that partner influences what's what's being chosen or what you're incorporating, what you're adding. And I do think that there's a lot to be said for heterosexual men and the idea of masculinity and bringing sex toys into the bedroom. I think there have been some some studies looking at how, you know, how men are uncomfortable introducing things that are, you know, different ways of pleasing a woman that don't involve the male penis. So things like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other kind of sex toys that could please the woman. And so I think that there's both the stress of the added stress of being a woman in the pandemic, so much going on, so many different burdens, and also how comfortable the partner is in incorporating those things. Yeah, I think those are such important points that can help to explain the differential gender impact that you're observing in the data. Mm-hmm. We're running a little short on time, but there's another topic I wanted to get into, which is the future of infidelity, right? Because we've been talking about some of the bright spots in relationships and how this situation has brought some people closer. And something else you also found in your data was that a majority of people, 68%, said that they're less likely to cheat in the future. And I find that fascinating. So Jessica, why do you think that is? Why are people saying they're less likely to commit infidelity going forward? And do you think that they're actually going to cheat less or that, you know, maybe once things return to normal, that the desire to cheat might kick in again? I really think it all comes back to and tracks from the sort of bigger themes we've discussed around commitment and emotional needs. And I think people are very much prioritizing the emotional safety of a committed relationship and don't want to don't want to damage that when they have it. So I really see it as following very directly from the pursuit of commitment and the the desire for for emotional security. Yeah. And gosh, this has all got me thinking now about so many of the things we've been talking about pre-pandemic and how there's a risk when you put all of your expectations on one person to be your primary source of Mm -hmm. social and emotional support and to be your sexual partner who always brings exciting and novel sex to the table, right? And so it's kind of like people are doubling down on this idea of a soulmate in some ways during the pandemic, but we know that that can also create an enormous amount of pressure on one person and that can be kind of hard to sustain long term. So just speaking off the top of my head, <laughs> trying to think <laughs> about how all this fits with everything else. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's totally true. And if anything, I, I hope that I think what will happen is that this focus on commitment and on monogamy will accelerate the discussion that, as you say, has started to bubble up around the idea that, you know, one person cannot be your everything. I think we've taken a step back in in regards to that discussion during COVID because a lot of us have only had one person and they have had to be our everything. But I think as we come out of this, the next step is that very clear-eyed awareness and practicality around what a partner should be, what a partner should not be held accountable for, and really, that's that's all tied up in a healthy partnership, right? That's really meant to prevent either party from getting bitter about not getting something they're expecting from the other person. And so I do think that's the next 
sort of major cultural discussion in regards to the growth of of relationships and and the sort of continuation of this trajectory that we're seeing come out of COVID. Yeah. Now, at the same time as you found this heightened interest in people wanting to commit to to one person, you also found that about one in five of your participants said that they were more likely to want to pursue an open relationship in the future. So I'm curious, Amanda, if you have any thoughts on, you know, why the pandemic may have prompted some people to consider consensual non-monogamy. And do you think that they'll actually try it? Well, I think that's a little bit complex. And I say that because we also asked people, you know, what kind of relationship they hope to pursue after the pandemic is over. And then we also asked, you know, are you more or less likely to pursue X, Y, and Z types of relationships? So there were two different questions. And for the relationships desired questions, one of the relationship options that we gave them were a polyamorous or consensually non-monogamous relationship. And the responses for that, for, you know, for hoping to pursue that after the pandemic were actually really low. There was, they were lower than I thought, honestly. They ranged from about from 0% for lesbian women in our sample to 12% at the highest for bisexual women. Oh, sorry, 14% at the highest for bisexual men. So from 0 to 14%, but most of them are in the 3 to 5% range, including gay men. So it actually was relatively low in terms of what people are hoping to get. But when we look at how likely they are to pursue it compared to before, about one in five people are saying that they're more likely to to pursue these things. And so I think there's uh, some complexity in terms of maybe the timeline. So maybe right now we're thinking I've been in lockdown for a year and I'm ready to make that connection. But maybe after, you know, after I've found that person, maybe then I would really like to consider opening up our relationship. So I think that there might be some complexity there with people not quite sure what what that might look like for them, but pursuing connection regardless, if that makes sense. Yeah, as always, it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Jess, let me ask one last question, which is, after doing this work, how do you feel? Are you <laughs> optimistic about the future of sex and relationships? What's What's your top line takeaway from it? I'm very optimistic because it really sounds to me, the message that I get from all of this data, and it's pretty loud and clear, is that people are very focused on prioritizing their health and well-being and what works for them and what makes them happy. And that is always a great thing. And I do think this represents a significant shift and a great silver lining to come out of a very difficult time. I also, I, I met my boyfriend during COVID and that wow. has been, for me personally, that's been a huge silver lining of this whole time. So all around, I'm feeling very optimistic. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. And I wish you much success in your new <laughs> relationship. And I'm so curious to see what happens going forward. So thank you both so much for this amazing conversation. It was a pleasure to have you here. Jessica, can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you or connect with you and to learn more about this survey we've been discussing? Yes, I am Jessica underscore Pels on Instagram and Twitter. And I highly recommend that your listeners go to cosmopolitan.com to see the survey online, but also, you know, to see our, our really robust sex, sex health, and and dating coverage, which is great resource, great inspiration, great voyeurism. And it's really what we're known for. So would would encourage them to check that out as well. Great. Thank you. And Amanda, where can folks go to find more about your work and research online? 
You can find me and all of our COVID projects at the Kinsey Institute website at kinseyinstitute.org. Great. Well, thank you both again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of the podcast, you can visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the podcast. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.